that we were combatants together in the Wars of the Roses, back in the days when the Assemblies of God were the cutting edge of the kingdom of God in this country. Make no mistake about it. And uh, there were wars. <laughs> they were <coughs> we, were con- uh, we were in conflict uh, with the powers of darkness, and we had a certain amount of tribal internecine warfare going on at the same time. Uh, but it's wonderful to have you with us, uh, uh, Malcolm and Cheryl, and then uh, Arthur Ivey and Lynn Churchman and, and others who've carried the banner for the story of Israel in the economy of God over these years. And, and uh, Malcolm was a pastor of the Assemblies of God in, in, in Durban, and it was called the Olive Tree, is that Right. And there's a branch of that olive tree up here in Hillcrest where uh, Brother Usher has been ministering. He's going to Germany, I think. I'm not sure. Uh, No, he's not. He's got to go into someone else going to Germany. And I'm preaching there next week in any case. So there's a link. But it just so happens over the last uh, two weeks and again tonight, uh, Irene Mylon and Margaret Rinsberg and I have been involved in... Uh, leading a seminar on Israel, the olive tree and this and that and the other, at the Kloof Methodist Church. I'm there tonight, and um, uh, I'm going to be charging at the pernicious and delusion of replacement theology. Uh, so uh, it's, it's wonderful to have you here, uh, uh, Malcolm, uh, and uh, I remember your ministry over many occasions, and the dynamic and the passion. Uh, uh, you were at one time, Your Excellency, the ambassador. You were the ambassador, the Christian embassy to the Jews in Jerusalem, the, the international Christian embassy to the Jews in Jerusalem. His Excellency Ambassador, I present to you Malcolm Heading. <laughs> Is this what you can... All right, well, what can I say after an introduction like that? But it's such a joy and a real privilege to be with you this morning. Thank you so much, Jonathan, Jane, for having us. And uh, it's a great blessing to see so many familiar faces and friends. I have a post-nasal drip in the morning here somehow, but that will come right. So it's great to see you all, and uh, thank you so much for your invitation to share the Word of God with you this morning. We have certainly enjoyed the worship, and uh, what a wonderful time of worship. It's so simple, isn't it? Uh, A brother sits down with the guitar, and he leads us in worship. Isn't that wonderful? It is so wonderful. And for me, it's a little refreshing, because I also want to extend to you the warm greetings of World Outreach Church. In Murfreesboro, Tennessee. All right, you have to learn that name before you leave this morning. Murfreesboro, Tennessee. World Outreach Church was founded in 1980 in, a, in the lounge of a very precious couple. You may meet them in Israel from time to time, called George and Betty Jackson. <clears throat> but what you don't know is that World Outreach Church was partly founded by the great Derek Prince. And today, if you come to World Outreach Church in the prayer center, you will see a very beautiful oil painting of Derek Prince preaching. It's beautiful. And what a wonderful man he was. He was a prince of a man under God. And so we thank God for that. And the World Outreach Church today is 10,000 people strong and growing by 1,000 people a year. So, to coming to a service like this, which was so devotional and simple, is a blessing, because a church of that size is a big engine, let me tell you. And every service has to be a massive production. But a very blessed one, but still, it's an engine that gears up. The church needs 2,200 people every weekend in order to work, just volunteers, 2,200. 
<clears throat> will make the church work every weekend. So what a joy to be here and to be out of all those thousands and thousands of people and to be amongst the people of God here in the Hillcrest area of Durban. I come from Nashville, Tennessee, really. Murfreesboro is a commuter town to Nashville. What is Nashville famous for? What did you say? Country music, right? But what you don't know, what you don't know, is that 90% of all the Bibles in the world are published and printed in Nashville. And two weeks ago it was declared the Bible that is the official book of Tennessee. Because Nashville, Tennessee, produces really all the Bibles in the world. If you have a Bible, it came from Nashville, Tennessee. And that's it. And it's true. And that's a wonderful blessing for a city like that, to be known as the city of the Bible. Because we live in the buckle of the Bible belt. And if you come to our city, you will see it everywhere. Every steakhouse, every restaurant, every coffee shop, you will see people seated with their Bibles open, praying and sharing together. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. So, it's a joy to be with you. I'd like to speak to you this morning about the kingdom of God. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn with me to a few passages. I'm going to just refer to them. The first is Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do what I say? Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you had to define the kingdom of God, how would you do it? Interesting question. If you had to define the kingdom of God, then how would you do it? What is the kingdom of God? In a general sense, we can say the kingdom of God is that sphere of influence where God is sovereign. The kingdom of God is that sphere of influence where God is sovereign. But in a specific way relating to each and every one of us, the kingdom of God is where God is present and rules. The kingdom of God is where God is present and rules. So, is this the kingdom of God this morning? It may be. It may not be. It depends on whether Jesus really rules and has his way with us. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do what I say? Speak to myself. So the kingdom of God is where Jesus is present and has his way completely. Because God has made him Lord of all. Amen. What a wonderful thing. And this is based on his death. God has exalted him to the right hand of glory. And every tongue and every knee will have to confess and bow to his lordship. So it asks the question, what did Jesus do on the cross to bring the kingdom of God to us? We so often think about these things and we talk about them, but what did he do? What do you think he did? What did Jesus do on the cross? Died for our sins? Yes. What does that mean? It can mean anything. Jesus died for my sins. Yes. What does that mean? 
How would you explain that? Well, let me answer the question this way. How many of you know that Jesus never came to get anybody out of hell into heaven? Did you hear that? Jesus never came to get anybody out of hell into heaven. Now, I would never lead you astray because, like Jonathan, we come out of the assemblies of God. (laughs) Now, my friends, that's not what he did. Although that's the the popular notion, even in the evangelical church. But it's not entirely true. It's not entirely wrong. But it's not entirely true. He brought the kingdom of God to us because Jesus came to get God out of heaven into man. Did you hear that? As a consequence, if you receive what he did by faith, as our dear leader this morning, you will be saved. Amen? And reconciled to him. So the veil in the temple was split from where to where? From the bottom to the top? No. He didn't come to get you out of hell into heaven. He propitiated the demands of God's character on your behalf. So that God has nothing against you. Isn't that wonderful? Nothing. And now can come into your life. And you are saved, reconciled. And if you belong to him, you'll never go to that place that Jonathan mentioned of outer darkness. The kingdom of God was mediated to us to bring Jesus' rule into our hearts and lives. That's the definition of the kingdom of God, biblically. But what is the essence of the kingdom? Well, we read that a moment ago, and that is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, that can either be theology or experience. And again, as we alluded to this morning, it's possible to sing all these songs liturgically, even as Christians, because this is what we do. But it has to become a vital part of our lives And the essence of the kingdom of God is righteousness. That is righteousness imputed and righteousness imparted. Imputed righteousness is by virtue of Jesus' death on your behalf and as you. God now covers you with his perfection and has nothing against you. And he sees you like that forever. He gives you the gift of his perfection. So when he looks at you this morning, he doesn't see your, your problems, your difficulties, your inabilities, but he sees you covered in the perfection of Jesus. Now, wonderful. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. And that's the basis upon which his spilt blood speaks to his father. You have to deal with Malcolm as if he's absolutely perfect, has never offended you because my blood speaks better than the blood of Abel. Amen. But the Bible teaches us that righteousness has to be imparted to your life. That God will transform you into the position that he gives you. God will transform you into the position that he gives you. And that we call the process of sanctification, the state of which is called holiness. There's something in me every day that wants to close the gap between what I really am in my heart and what I look like in heaven. Perfect. So the challenge to the Christian is to make his heavenly position an earthly reality. And that's what Paul said. 
Not that I've closed the gap completely. But this one thing I do, forgetting what, we, what was behind, I press forward for the prize of what? Of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call of God is to see myself perfect in heaven. What God imputes to me, I want to make real in my heart and life. The kingdom of God is righteousness. So we should be a changing people. Amen? You should be changing. It is also, of course, peace. What is peace? How would you define peace? This is the essence of the kingdom of God. So often we know these statements, but do we really understand them? What is peace? Peace is a settled, sure knowing that my circumstances around me in the world are under the control of God. Did you hear that? Because the Bible says that God causes all things to work together for for good. So when you as a Christian find yourself in what we in Hebrew call a balagan. A balagan is a mess. Or a balagan gadol, a big mess. Some of you have been in big messes. And it's nothing that you did. You're walking with Jesus as you should. But one day, everything goes wrong. Your circumstances around you change dramatically. Then you have two options. To be unstable, fall apart as the world, or because you live in the kingdom of God, the peace of God kicks in. Hallelujah. And you know that your circumstances, even if bad, are working together for your benefit. If you just hold steady. If you just hold steady. Who's ever heard of a song called, All is Well with My Soul? Who was the writer of that hymn? Be pardon? Yeah, what his, his name was Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford. So why did he write that song? Because he woke up one morning, lovely Christian. Do you know that he founded the first kibbutz in Israel? The kibbutz, as we know it, is not a Jewish invention, it's a Christian one. Isn't that good? And he founded it in Jerusalem where today you can eat a fantastic steak called the American Colony Hotel. That's where the first kibbutz in Israel was established. There are a lot of things like that in the world that are paradoxes. The patron saint of Ireland is an Englishman. (laughs) I arrived in Ireland last month on St. Patrick's Day. And I had great joy and blessing, saying, wow, you really celebrate the Englishman here, eh? That went down like a lead balloon. It's one of those jokes I won't try again in Ireland. (laughs) But actually, I thought it was so good. (laughs) I found out the only person laughing was me, which was a bit embarrassing in the end. But I was right, because Patrick was taken as a slave to Ireland in the 5th century. And so he learned Gaelic. Then he escaped and went back to England. And then he got wonderfully saved. And Jesus said, you know what? You must go back to Ireland because you know the language. You must preach. He was a Celtic Christian. So he went back and he preached all through Ireland. And now he's the patron saint. It's like mind-boggling, eh? Oh, well, these things happen. The oldest distillery in the world for whiskey, may I just say, (laughs) doesn't come from Scotland. 
Oh, no. I don't try that joke in Scotland. I don't try that joke. It actually comes from Ireland. Isn't that amazing? So the Irish have a one up on the Scottish. So how did we get to whiskey? (laughs) Because of Spafford. He founded the first kibbutz in Israel. So he woke up in America. He was an American. One morning, and he was told, sorry to tell you, but your wife and your four girls are dead. They died in a shipwreck on the way to England. And he got up and he blessed the God of heaven. And he wrote a beautiful hymn. When sea billows roll, God tells me, All is well, all is well with my soul. What happens to you when sea billows roll? What happens to you? The essence of the kingdom of God. An inner settled certainty and knowledge that no matter what my circumstances, outwardly, God, is in control. What circumstances are you facing? A bad diagnosis with your body? Some big problem? Some financial catastrophe unexpected? The kingdom of God is peace. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. Like a sentry will march up and down the citadel of your heart. That's the Greek. The peace of God. The sentries of God will jump onto the ramparts of your heart. And they will tell you, don't fear. Don't fear. Hold steady. You're in the kingdom of God. The essence. Do you have it? Amen. Ignore that side now. Do you have it? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's wonderful to be here with you. Joy. Are you a joyful Christian? What is joy? How would you define joy? Is it, what is joy? Is it just that you're bubbly <laughs> for the right reasons? <clears throat> what is joy? What do you think joy is? Have you thought about it? What is joy? I'll give you a good biblical definition. Joy is inner health inner spiritual health made audible. (laughs) Did you hear that? Joy is inner spiritual health made audible. It's something that's coming out of your spiritual relationship. It's not dictated by the world. It's dictated by the presence of Jesus in your life. So you have to ask yourself, are you a joyful person? You know, you see some Christians, I see them in Tennessee, in this huge church. You see, there are many, many, many Christians who do do not have joy. And you see them coming toward you. Do not ask them, how are you, brother? (laughs) How's it going with you, sister? I'm telling you, they will bury you in their long, sad, sorry story. Every time you see them, you have to make a major detour. And... (laughs) And our church has a campus that is so big, it's like an airport terminal. Do you know we have four sanctuaries in the church? And a Starbucks coffee shop. And an incredible bookshop. So there are a lot of places you can duck. (laughs) Hello, brother. Praise the Lord. (laughs) 
You can't do that. Yes, I will. You know, I can see. <laughs> exit, exit. Mm. <laughs> Emergency exit. Now, when you, when you meet people, are you a joy to be around? That's a question. When you meet people, are you a joy to be around? Or do you just trot out your never-ending story of woe? Oh, no. <laughs> my, my dear people of God, <clears throat> this is the essence of the kingdom of God. This is not theology. This is what Jesus does for us. So my third point, the demonstration of the kingdom. The definition, the essence, the demonstration. How much time do I have to waffle on here this morning? Okay, I like that, brother. Thank you. The demonstration of the kingdom of God. Now, this thing I've too seen under the sun. And I travel all over the world. Literally. This thing I have seen. that, That the church is blighted with Gnosticism. Yeah. The so-called evangelical, spirit-filled, charismatic, automatic, fanatic church is blighted with Gnosticism. And they don't even know it. And the people love it so. So let me give you an example that is very, very important. I was in a church recently where the minister got up and said, you know what God told me? That in this next year, is giving you all breakthrough. This is the breakthrough year. That is Gnosticism. And the people of God don't even know it. So let me explain why that is Gnosticism. Because the only breakthrough you will ever need in your life was accomplished 2,000 years ago on the cross. Did you hear me? The idea that God is dispensing the benefits of his cross at a particular time since AD 33 is outright heresy. Outright heresy. And it's like power to the person saying it because he's now consumed with a revelation that's going to change you today. It's Gnosticism. If you read your Bible in Ephesians 3, no, Ephesians 1, verses 1 to 3, it says we have been blessed in Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, he unlocked everything that God can ever give you. There is nothing more that God can give you than he gave to you 2,000 years ago. There is nothing more that God can do for you than he did for you 2,000 years ago. And he's not withholding any of it for a time when I can mesmerize the congregation with my so-called glorious revelation. Careful. (laughs) It's true. Amen. Good place to say amen. Did you hear me? He gave you everything he can possibly give you 2,000 years ago. He's got nothing more to give you. In these last days, God has spoken to us in his son. It's finished. He's not speaking to you or me about anything else. It's the cross that he died on 2,000 years ago. And he unlocked the reservoir of everything that he has for you. So, 
we need to press in more to the kingdom of God. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say? Everything's ours. But God is waiting for you and for me to bring our lives more fully under the Lordship of Jesus. And that's the question. That's the question. And that's what he wants to challenge you with. Because the God we serve wants to do the supernormal in your life. Some people say the supernatural. I say, no, no, no. Let's get this right. <clears throat> it's the supernormal. You see that picture there? It's the supernormal. Because he took something, Elijah the prophet took something that was normal. A bread and a cruise of oil. It's normal. And it multiplied. It's the supernormal. Jesus took loaves and fishes, a few, and he fed a multitude. It's the supernormal. And he demonstrated the kingdom of God. And God wants to take the things in your life that you know that are natural and normal. Listen to me this morning. And he wants to do the most incredible things with it. He wants to bring your life and my life into the supernormal. Jesus saw water. He walked on it. It became the supernormal. Water is water. Jesus took water and he made it into wine. That is the super, super, super normal. Amen, amen. amen, amen. <laughs> and it was good wine. <laughs> Absolutely. The super normal. And the kingdom of God is here today to bring to your lives the super normal all the time. But you need to press in and primarily, now listen to me. You need to press in in the place of prayer. This is not rocket science. When I left the International Christian Embassy, God spoke to me. And I've now seen it. You know what he said to me? He said, I have a wonderful plan for your life. But I'm telling you, you're not going to reach it. What I have left for you, you're not going to get your potential. Unless you certainly upgrade your prayer life dramatically. Because prayer brings us into submission to the king. Dramatically. So how's your prayer life? Everything at the cross is finished. You can have it. But Jesus is Lord. We have to make him Lord. So, I was in another church. Looking around and there, there was the auditorium and there was a little room on the side it had over it the words prayer room so of course I'm a little naughty so I said to the preacher tell me what's that room there so that's the prayer room brother I said really why is this not the prayer room I said what do you mean I said, why is the church main auditorium not the prayer room? Well, he said, because hardly anybody comes to pray. So we get 10 people there. 
I said, really? I said, are you aware of what Jesus said about his house? It is what? A house of prayer. For who? For all nations. He said, yes, I am. So I said, and so? Are your people under the lordship of Christ? So, what is this? It's a house of prayer. So I know that this week when they call the prayer meeting, I know you'll all be here. I know that. Amen. Because you belong to Jesus. Amen? The kingdom of God is defined in its demonstration as a house of prayer. Chiefly. So may I urge you, if you want to see the supernormal breaking out, may I urge you in Jesus' name, please, Fill this church. Every one of you. Fill it. The church needs it. And God knows. I say it reverently, the country needs it. Jesus said, you call me Lord. Well. And if you look at the early church, they were all together in one place continually doing what? Praying. And the kingdom of God, the supernormal broke out. They took handkerchiefs and they gave it to people and they got healed. A shadow, which is a normal thing, fell on someone and they got healed. Wouldn't you love to see that again? Wouldn't you? So are we willing to pay the price for what we say we want? It's ours. 2,000 years ago. Then finally... Because it's time for tea. The Bible says, come for tea, come for tea, my people. Amen. <clears throat> the definition of the kingdom, the essence of the kingdom, the demonstration of the kingdom, finally the manifestation. The disciples came to Jesus and said, is it at this time you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, no, no, not now. Didn't deny it. He affirmed it, and he said, we first have to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus. And when all the Gentiles have come into the olive tree of Israel, believing Israel, then I will turn again to unbelieving Israel. I will restore her in Jerusalem, and then I will save her. And then I will come again. Isn't that wonderful? The manifestation of the kingdom. There is a manifestation coming of the kingdom that's going to physically and visibly cover the whole earth. Amen. And the focus point of this manifestation will be Jerusalem. And this process of restoration of in, in Israel today is not physical or political. It is spiritual. It's exactly the same unfolding process that took place 
when they came back under Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel and all the restoration prophets. The Jews came back to the land that God gave them as an everlasting possession. And then the inhabitants of the land, some 70, 80 odd years later, were upset. How can you come here and live here? The truth is God gave it to them. And if we don't like it, too bad. Because he didn't give it to them for themselves. He gave it to them for you. And if they didn't have possession of that land, you would not be here today. Because the redemptive purpose of God has flowed out of that land. And God needed the land to galvanize the nation to become the vehicle of world redemption because no one individual could receive this revelation in his lifetime. So through successive generations, molded and framed by the land of Canaan, God passed through to the world the revelation of his word and finally the death of his word. In the purpose of Jesus. And that's why you are here this morning. Even when they came back from Babylon. What was the purpose of God? To bring Jesus into the world. Where is he born? In Bethlehem. How is he going to get there. If they are not there. Good question. Amen. So let me ask you this question. How is Jesus going to get to Jerusalem if the Jews are not there? Because he himself said, I'm not coming back there until you invite me there. You will not see me again until what? You say, speaking to Jerusalem. Blessed art thou who comes in the name of the Lord. Once again, all the nations are in upheaval. You can't do this. You can't take this city. This is not yours. No, it is. Yes, it is. And you are dependent upon it. Because the Bible says, if their rejection be the reconciliation of the world... What will their acceptance be for the world so reconciled, but resurrection from the dead? Some of you need the resurrection badly. I mean, look at you. You've lost more hair than I saw you last time. You're using Dead Sea cream until it ends somewhere in eternity. It's doing nothing for you, man. You painted up, you sprayed up, and you dressed up, and you came to church. But take all that stuff off and say, wow, did you see how that person looks now? <laughs> Some of you men are going bald. If a negative in Israel, if a negative in Israel brought reconciliation to the Gentiles. A negative. What's going to happen when a positive happens? Paul says, resurrection from the dead. And that positive is dependent on the restoration of the Jews to Jerusalem. And the powers of darkness know it better than the church. And they have systematically attempted to exterminate the Jewish people. 
Why do you think? Because they've recognized that the redemptive, sovereign, eternal plan of God for the salvation of the world is actually shackled to the weakness of the Jewish people and their historical journey so that God can get the glory. So that he puts before the nations a test. The way you treat them is the way you treat me. Psalm 83. The way you treat them is the way you treat me. Because without them, even their unbelief, you, my friend, would not be here. And then you tell me you don't care about them. Really? No, no, no. The kingdom of God in its visible manifestation is around the corner because now for 67 years the Jews have gone home. That should make you tremble because the king is coming. To Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then he will reign over the nations. And bring them peace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the world in its blindness, madness and darkness. Wants to liquidate the Jewish people. Now listen to me as I close. A European Union politician a month ago said this. This is true. He said, I know that Israel's case is just, if I have to be honest. Because she's up against a radical form of Islam that is relentless in its desire to liquidate her. So he said, I know that this is true. And I know that her cause is just. But I have to be honest, he said. Israel has become a nuisance. And the world will be better off without her. I think it was Nimala who said, Two great Germans. Wow, you should read their stories. I'll finish with the one, with the two. <laughs> I got till four o'clock. Neil Muller said, you know what? First we said, you can't live amongst us and be Jewish. It's in our suburbs. Then we said, actually we would prefer... If you don't live amongst us, you can't live amongst us. So go and live in your ghetto. And then we said, you can't live. And that's what this European politician said. Actually, you Jews, you're a nuisance to the world with your state. And though we know you are right, the world would be better off if you didn't exist. That came straight out of Hitler's playbook.
So Bonhoeffer ran away from Nazi Germany. He went to England first and then he went to America. And he went to a black church in Brooklyn and he had a wonderful renewal. He was always a saved man. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And God brought him close to himself. He spent hours in prayer. He went down to the Hudson River one day. And he was praying in New York. And he heard the voice of God speak to him. And the voice of God said, Dietrich, what are you doing here? I want you to go home. I want you to help my Jewish people. I want you to help the church. What are you doing here? So he went home. And they took him, finally. And they hanged him. Question is, question to me, what are you doing here? You don't have to go home anywhere, you are home. But the question is still the same. What am I doing here? Will you help? My Jewish people. Because the powers of darkness want to liquidate them. Two weeks ago, in the middle of the Iranian negotiations, the mullah of Iran said, quote, unquote, unashamedly, no matter what happens with these discussions, let me tell you, he said, The destruction of the nation-state of Israel is for us not negotiable. Did you hear that? And what did the world say? No, that's okay. Let's make this deal. The manifestation of the kingdom. Is coming through Jerusalem. May God help us to be faithful. For this is the kingdom of God.